Welcome to The Mend, a podcast about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nasset, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, I'm delighted to have back Karen Tronsgaard-Scott from the Vermont Network of Domestic and Sexual Violence. Karen's here today to talk about Uplift Vermont, a campaign for a violence-free Vermont. And I'm so excited to have you here to talk about this amazing, amazing campaign that's been so many years in the making. It's really great. I, I'm always so glad to be in a room with you and talking to you is one of my very favorite things in the world. So thank you so much for having me back. Back at you, my friend. Um, so as we get started, I always want to let everyone know that this show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime and how we can look towards a future that has no victims and survivors of crime as we look to, to ways to eradicate. Uh, we always want to acknowledge our healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country. And I think today's show is an amazing one for other people in other states to be listening to and looking at how they can take these concepts into their own state. Because Vermonters, we're leaders in a lot of ways. And um, I also always want to begin with the trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place where we can discuss topics but within that, we may occasionally have some sensitive subject matter. So I always urge people to listen at their own discretion. Today, as I said, I'm so excited to have Karen Tronsgaard Scott here again from the network, um, the Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence, which we'll just refer to as the network. Karen is the executive director of the network, uh, which is Vermont's federally recognized coalition of organizations seeking to end violence against women. She is a nationally recognized speaker on issues related to domestic and sexual violence and on nonprofit leadership. Karen began her career in advocacy and nonprofit leadership in the 80s as a volunteer at a school for children with developmental disabilities in Columbia, Sri Lanka. She was the executive director of a domestic and sexual violence service organization in Southeastern Ohio, a fellow Ohioan, for 13 years prior to coming to Vermont to lead the Vermont Network. Thank you so much for being here today, Karen. Thank you, Anna, it's great to be here. So as we get started, we're gonna start this off a little bit differently because Karen's here to talk about Uplift Vermont, which as I said, is a campaign for violent free Vermont. And before we looked at how we wanna discuss this, I think it's really important that we share some of the facts and data about our state of Vermont um, that have really pushed forward this concept of creating this campaign. So I'm gonna share with everyone some of these um, stats and then Karen's gonna start speaking for us. So here in Vermont, how we care for each other matters. We treasure our state as a safe place, but Vermont is not safe for everyone. Thousands of Vermonters experience domestic and sexual violence each year. Together, we can prevent this before it starts, until every last Vermonter lives a life free from violence. Every day, all across Vermont, people experience domestic and sexual violence. Research indicates that one in three women and one in four men will experience sexual violence in their lifetime. One in four women and one in nine men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. 19,000 hotline calls were made by Vermonters seeking support and resources 
due to domestic or sexual violence in 2019. 9,000 people sought out in-person in help in 2019. And for the past 25 years, half of all homicides in Vermont have been related to domestic violence. In some years, Vermont has ranked in the top 10 states in the nation for our rate of domestic violent homicide. These are some pretty staggering facts. Um, yeah, they really hit me in the gut as I sit here in my cozy home where we all think we're so safe here in our precious state. And the reality is that many of our friends and neighbors are not safe. Um, so thank you for putting together those facts and really pulling on them to start this campaign. So I'd love to just have you start by sharing what the Uplift campaign is, how it started, how you've been working towards this and how it was put into place. Thank you so much, Anna. It is a campaign, <coughs> you know? The number of people, our friends, our family members, our neighbors that are experiencing domestic and sexual violence is just not really acceptable in our state where for so many reasons, we're so safe. And, um, you know, the network's been around since, gosh, 1986, working on this issue. And for most of that time, we really presented a lot of the, that data. Uh, and we also presented a situ, uh, like a viewpoint that this was a, a problem that, that was impacting a smaller group of people in our state and was the responsibility of a small group of people in our state to handle, to respond to, to talk about. But what we found out is that there are many Vermonters who are really concerned about this issue and wanna know what to do. They want to know how they can help. And so that was the genesis of Uplift Vermont. We, we started hearing from folks who, you know, they just kept asking the question, how can we help with this? What can we do? Well, how can we be, be a part of this? Uh, and so Uplift Vermont is a campaign to change how we think about and talk about and respond to gender-based violence, which is another, Gender-based violence is one of the ways we talk about domestic and sexual violence that recognizes both of those, um, those issues as well as the continuum of people who experience um, domestic and sexual violence, which includes people identify as women, people identify as men, and people identify outside the gender binary. Um, and so what, we did, what we've done for this multi-year campaign is we've taken the voices of survivors and we've combined them with the most up-to-date technology about how we change the thinking about things in society. So survivors are telling us things all the time and Vermonters are telling us things all the time. And we wanna use the, this great modern technology we have to bring those two, the voices and the, and the, and the people that wanna talk about this issue together. Um, this is a community-based prevention campaign and um, and we, so we know that violence is really far too prevalent in our, in our state, but we also know that there's active ways for us to prevent violence. And the, and, and the key there is, is preventing violence together. So we're working with communities, we're working with um, folks who are, you know, just regular old citizens in, in, in the small towns of our state to give them information and, um, and the skills and tools that they need to be able to talk about gender-based violence in their communities. By engaging in conversations, then we can raise awareness and we can, we can think about solutions to this issue um, that are focused in community in, uh, it, 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 through collaboration with the people that live in communities and survivors. They're one in the same. Our awesome. 
Oh, you've said this, our long-term goal is ending um, domestic and sexual violence in our communities. Awesome. Can you, for our listeners, talk a little bit about prevention and what you're doing with prevention versus response, which, right. you know, for you and I, we know that like, you know, it was so focused on response for so long and now we're yeah. trying to look more at prevention. And if you could just talk a little bit more about how you're approaching that. Sure. You know, in Vermont, we are really blessed. We're so lucky to have these, um, there's 15 plus organizations that, um, that provide intervention for people who have experienced domestic and sexual violence. And then there's another 14 organizations that are working with people who cause harm in their um, in the, in intimate partner relationships. So those are all interventions. These are, these, these are interventions. There's action that happens after uh, domestic violence has happened. We know that by the time somebody comes forward to call the police or to, to seek help through a, a, a shelter program, like, you know, programs like the Clarina Howard Nichols Center, Steps to End Domestic Violence, Circle, Mosaic Vermont, and all the others, we know that there's already been a lot that's happened inside that relationship, a lot of coercion, a lot of violence, uh, and, and a lot of harm has already been caused. So these organizations are uniquely um, skilled at offering intervention services to help people develop safety plans to figure out uh, how to change um, change conditions on, uh, and, and um, the lives of people who experience violence, as well as how to help people who cause harm to make different choices. Prevention happens, I, I could get really technical, but I won't. Prevention happens essentially um, within the context of violence already occurring or before violence occurring. And Uplift is really focused on before violence occurs. So we know that domestic and sexual violence is, has a relationship to, to structures in our, in our society that are about um, oppression. The oppression of women, the oppression of children, the oppression of people of color, the oppression of indigenous people. These are all roots that are entwined. And what Uplift Vermont seeks to do is to have conversations about what, you know, what's the, what's feeding violence in our communities. And it's a, you know, violence eats up a lot. It's got a healthy appetite. And so what's feeding the violence in our communities and how can we cut off that pipeline? So when I think about this, I think about things like, um, you know, we do a lot of uh, work on campuses, uh, both the Vermont Network and our member organizations. We do, do a lot of work on campuses. And, I, and I'm just gonna speak as honestly as possible about this through my own experiences of, of engaging with um, some members of the Greek community, not all members of the Greek community, but some members of the Greek community on our campuses have a relationship to women that's really toxic. Right, seen the headlines around this, and it's one thing for me, a sixty-year-old, you know, woman, to say, "Don't do that, young men." But what Uplift offers us is the is the is a way for the majority of the the members of the Greek community on campus who are not violent, who do not degrade women. It offers them the opportunity to learn how to talk to their peers, to interrupt that. Um, that worldview, mm -hmm. young women are actually less than, less value than their purposes to have sex with them, things like that. 
So that's a pretty stark example. In most of our communities, um, there's, uh, you know, I could give lots of other examples, but Uplift is really trying to interrupt the cultural conditions that support violence in intimate partner relationships. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I know I feel like, because I speak with the military a lot and recently got to go to, and actually spoke in person in Oklahoma to basic trainees. And, you know, watching, you know, these young people who had just joined the military and are coming from a lot of times that was their, their escape from whatever their home life was, whatever it might be, that was the only answer. And to get to go in and talk to them at that point, now they're probably going to listen to the other veterans that I had with me more than they will me, but, but that, that concept, yeah, of giving them the tools at this age when, you know, they're coming out of the, whatever situation they are into this new situation um, can maybe create change. And, right. you know, you and I might not get to see it in our lifetime. Um, probably won't. I might. Probably but, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that was one of the questions I had for you. And it was kind of more towards the end, but like, how does it feel? I mean, you've done this work for so long and it's really shifted over the years. Yeah. How does it feel, especially with a campaign like this? I mean, it's this legacy you're leaving to the state um, and with all this work, like to do the work that we might not see the results. Yeah. Well, it's been such a great privilege for me to do this work for 27 years and um, to work with and learn from survivors, from people who cause harm, from people that I've had the chance to work with, from leaders across our state. I mean, it it's been pretty amazing. And I've never had so much hope as I do today. I'm so excited about this campaign. I'm so excited about the possibilities of it because I think what it does is it actually gives us a pathway to demystify this issue, to talk about our own experiences with oppression, to step into actively engaging in the actions that are needed to interrupt violence, gender-based violence. And I, and I, you know, and there's, I mean, you know, a lot of this has to do with, I'm just gonna say it, white supremacy culture. And so there's a relationship between uprooting the causes of violence and uprooting the causes, the, uh, uprooting racism. And you could make an argument and many have, many you know, scholars have made this argument that, the, that, w- that one of the strongest roots uh, that f- feeds violence in our families is this relationship to racism and this relationship to um, to oppression and how it manifests itself in the actions of individual people. Now, I could go really, you know, kind of philosophical here, but I won't. I mean, it's not that interesting probably for the average listener. But the thing is, is that I'm really convinced that what it, Uplift is doing is is creating a relationship with the future that's generative and, um, and, and makes things possible. Because nothing is possible when we're, when we're working individually, when we're working in isolation. And for far too long, our movement has had this standard around safety that required us to hold things in secret. Mm-hmm. That in a, a standard in which we felt like we were the experts and nobody else could get it right. So we couldn't really collaborate well with others, including people who cause harm. Yep. And a relationship with it, which I think is generalized across society that accountability means punishment, even though we know that it doesn't work, it doesn't change people's behavior. 
Mm-hmm. So Uplift is this, is this incredible campaign fed by the voices of survivors, engaging people in communities, just anybody who wants to engage in a way that mirrors the world we're trying to build. Where Uplift embodies this, this future world that we're hoping for. You know, I think, uh, again, I don't want to get too, uh, uh, too much into the headspace, but I actually think that we're, on the, we're starting into this incredible worldwide transformation. And there's a lot of us out there that think this. The old ways are dying off. The old structures, we can see them crumbling before our very eyes. And we have to ask ourselves, what's next? And uplift is a pathway to what's next. Uplift is a pathway to communities where when somebody is traumatized, we recognize the trauma at an early age and we start working with them so that they are never in a position of choosing violence. We're, you know, we're investing in peace we're in, and we're refusing to accept that violence is inevitable. We mm-hmm. refuse to accept it. So there's, so I'm, I, I'm just so excited about this. And, that chills. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm excited about this because I really, I'm a, I'm a spectator. You know, the the people that are doing this are the people out there in the communities, and we've been, I've been so heartened. You know, when we we did we did a soft launch in December. Uh, I'm sorry, November, um, with our closest, you know, our closest um, co-collaborators and co-conspirators and allies. And their excitement was just so, it was palpable. And since then, so many people have come to us and said, I want to be involved in this. How do I do this? And we, because we need actually everybody. Yeah. We need everybody. This is, you know, the, the thing about Uplift is it helps us discover all the people that want to do this work, regardless of their gender identity, regardless of you know where they live, because we need 100% of everybody who wants to do this um, with us. Yeah, we can only work together. Absolutely. Um, so, how does that look? I mean, how does this? How do we become involved? And you know, I'm in the Mad River Valley, like you know, wherever we are in this state. How do we get involved? Um, to, to work with this campaign, to work with our communities. Yeah. The best, the best way to get there is to go to our website, which is www.vtnetwork.org. And um, on the website, you can enter this in a couple different ways. You'll see a link to the Uplift campaign, but also the person who's um, spearheading this effort inside the network is our director of um, policy and community organizing, Jessica Barquist. And so you can, if you look at our staff list, you can find her contact information. And what we're trying to do is to, is to find the people in communities who want to do this work and then bring them together to engage in dialogue and, and, and learn some things and learn how to go back out into communities and talk to their friends and neighbors and, and coworkers about this issue. And we want to be clear, this is a long-term campaign. This right. isn't, you know, you know, I think probably some people will be like, oh, sure, okay, I could do that for a little bit. Like, this is a long-term campaign. It's right. not a year. Right. I mean, it was years in the making. And mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, we don't normally think about campaigns that way. Um, you know, it's like, right. there's a start, there's an end date. Like, there, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Is there an end date to this? No. Well, I mean, well you know, kind so of. What we're, you know, what we're imagining into is five-year increments. Mm-hmm. And and when we first outlined a five-year increment, it was pre-COVID. So we know that, you know, we've had to, as everybody else has, we've had to pivot a lot of things in relationship to, to, um, to COVID. 
We very purposefully are not funding this effort through federal funds because federal funds are chunked out in one-year increments. And we know that we are, we, you know, five years and beyond is what we're looking at. I mean, and, and the reality is, is if we do this well enough, and, and I'm talking about we, all of us, do this well enough, it's not even, it becomes, it becomes the way we are. Yep. Not a campaign. It is the way we are. Going. Absolutely. Now, five years from now, um, there's a couple of things that are happening. In uh, March, the beginning of March, we're releasing our economic the cost. It's an economic report on the cost of violence in our state. I won't I won't give you any teasers, but the numbers are staggering. That's I'm all sure. I can say about it. Uh, and then you know we're we have uh, you we have some legislative things that to do, and. Um, and you know we're so blessed. Again, we're so lucky in the state. I mean, you and I are not from Vermont, but how how lucky we landed here, because so much is possible, right? Truly, truly, our yeah. Our legislation, our legislators, one hundred percent of them are so well informed about these issues. They really get it. They're. I feel like we. Uh, I listen to my peers in other states and hear about their battles, and we just we're not faced with any of that because our legislators are really looking out for the most vulnerable and marginalized Vermonters, and we want to continue to encourage them to do that. The um, but there but we don't have there we haven't spent a lot of time talking about prevention to our legislators, so that's one of the things we really want to do in the coming years is is to build their knowledge and understanding mm -hmm. how prevention, especially that prevention before the first act can happen and how they can support it. And then there's, a, there's I mean, there's always technical uh, things for us to take a look at in the legislature. Um, we are really involved right now in advocating for funding for a response to domestic, to folks who cause harm in their, in their intimate partner relationships through our state's domestic violence accountability programs. And we are very interested in working to um, to end the statute, statutory prohibition on using restorative justice in situations involving domestic violence victims. So that's something we're working hard on right now. And I think that the, um, it, it, you know, it's all interconnected. It's it is. All interconnected. And so everything that we do to support marginalized Vermonters, everything, everything that we do to recognize the impact of poverty on Vermonters, everything we do to recognize the, um, the differential impact and the outsized impact of COVID on uh, black indigenous and people of color in Vermont, that you know, all of those things will help. Yes, it's all connected. Yes. And I think one of the things that's so important that, I mean, some of our listeners might not realize, and you've mentioned this many times, is working with the people who caused harm as well and looking mm -hmm. at different ways to bring everyone in and you shared a story with me years ago that really like kind of, I mean, I think at the time I was new into this field and so I, I walked away and it still brings with me. And it was you talking about these potluck dinners that you did, I think it was in like maybe Texas. Is this ringing a bell with you? Oh, that's not surprising though. <laughs> you were talking about bringing people together who like yeah. you recognize like how much domestic violence was in this community and one that these people all love to share food. And so I think it was that you would bring them together for potlucks families where there were people it's, who- were... It was actually, I'm, yeah, you're, I'm with you now. It was a story, it's actually not me who did this. It was a br okay. brilliant leader named uh, Julia Perillo who was working in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. 
at a community center. And the the thing it was life-changing hearing about this, hearing that her presentation was life-changing for me because I had been raised in the movement to believe that it was vitally important for us to separate people who are causing harm in their relationships from the people they were harming. It was a matter of life and death, despite knowing that most of those people were still together. You know, they're together, they're trying to navigate this, this phenomenon in their relationship. And, um, and I, you know, I don't want to diminish the harm that people can cause people. I mean, I've known, I've known people who are killed by their intimate partners. There, it's, it's a very serious and dangerous situation. More than 50% of the homicides in the state are related to domestic violence. But we, I think we have to understand that people who cause harm in relationships are also, they're people, they're people. And they have all the things that have happened to them cumulatively across their, li their lifetime, as well as their historical relationship to trauma. Mm -hmm. have um they're they're people who who love other people they're people who are parents they're people who have jobs they're people and from you know I speak from my own experience I spent a lot of time thinking about how to punish those people because it felt good to me mm -hmm. right there was no relationship to the out around outcomes you know were people safer if somebody went to prison there's no evidence of that. You know, are they safer if they're if they're punished by some other means? There's just no evidence of it. If you talk to people who work with people who cause harm, and there's a brilliant woman in our state named Melissa Dees who okay. with people who cause harm. And Melissa always says, you have to find a way into their hearts. We have to make the connection. And once that connection's made, then it is really possible to change things. So this this idea that i mean we've said you know hold hold batterers accountable hold rapists accountable for many many years and again i am not saying that the harm isn't real i'm not saying that the harm isn't devastating i'm not saying that these are that these are these are not uniformly homicidal people but there are some homicidal people some very dangerous people in this grouping but for for those that we can reach into their hearts. Why are we not doing that? Yeah. We're not doing that. I will tell you when I first started doing this work way back in 1995, my organization in Ohio, the organization I worked for, worked with, at that time we called them batterers, people who cause harm as well as survivors. And I went to, you know, I went as the new ED, I went to observe this group. And what struck me, what struck me was that, you know, these, they were all, um, they were all white heterosexual men. I'm sorry, homosexual, yeah, heterosexual cisgendered men. And what struck me about these guys was that they were like, they were, um, they were, they knew it. They knew what they were doing was wrong, right? Wrong for their partner, wrong for their kids, wrong for their pets, wrong for society, wrong for them. But they did not have a way out of it. And so all of actions, and the only option was for the, I mean, the only thing that was going on was you get arrested and you get referred to this group. Yeah. Nothing else. So there, so a lot of their energy was devoted to how do I keep myself from going back to jail rather than how do I, how do I show up in this group in a state of, you know, vulnerability and in community with these other people that have, that struggle with the same issues. 
but how can mm -hmm. we together to perform, you know, move forward together? So I think there's really, and there's compelling evidence about this. You know, Lee Goodmark from the University of Maryland has written extensively about this. She's also affiliated with the law school here in Vermont. She's worked extensive, written extensively about this stuff. Um, there's, I think we have to be realistic and understand that the, the tools that we've been using to prevent people from causing harm have not been that effective. Right, right. So does this campaign, do you think it will help develop new tools? I think it will. Because really, you know, in, in, in Vermont, um, the opportunity we have is that it's, we're, we're, it's, we're small communities where everybody knows everybody else. And, um, and so if we give folks the opportunity to talk about this issue in ways that, are, that uplift the stories of hope and resilience, regardless of where you experience, you know, your experience, but uplift the stories of hope and resilience and help people have the tools to, to address the challenges they face in their life through nonviolent means, I think, I think we can really change things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's, how do you mark the success of this campaign? I mean, which like, you know, I, I, is it just like with all the numbers going down or I mean, what, do you, what would for you yeah. feel like the success be? It's such a great question. You know, um, people who know me who are listening are laughing right now because they know I have this very difficult relationship to evaluation, you know, formal evaluation. Okay. I, and there's lots of data that we can take a look at and we will take a look at, including the number of domestic violence related homicides, which really was the gen part of the genesis of this project. It's like, how do we, how do we address this? Why every year it's the same, 50, you know, 51, 52%. 60% and you know, in the really worst years, 90% of the homicides in our state are related to domestic violence. So, so for me, that's a big number. De eliminating the relationship between homicide and domestic violence. Um, and I, you know, I'm reflecting on, on this very complex issue in a very simplistic way. So I just wanna recognize that. Yeah. For me, you know, the success of this, of this project sits with the moment that the young man turns away from violence. Even one, even one is good. The moment that somebody notices a child struggling and recognizes that there's trauma and that there, and, 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 and intervenes not in a way that's punitive, but intervenes in a way that's supportive. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell this story and it, because it's the truth, but I grew up in a violent home I, my mother was violent with me, very violent with me. And when I was in sixth grade, Mrs. Ray Peck, my sixth grade teacher noticed that something was wrong. And she nurtured me. She never said a word. She nurtured me that whole year. And I was acting out, wow, I was wild. And she, she was a, a, just a, her support, her attention, her quiet recognition that I wasn't even aware of until I was older, changed my life. So if that happens to one Vermont kid, mm -hmm. we succeeded. Absolutely. That's my professor Knapp um, in college. Similarly, yeah. like I, after, no. I was, after I was sexually assaulted and just, yeah, I was chaotic. Everything yes. was just yeah. like, I was just out of my mind at the time. Yeah. And this one professor, Jason Knapp, love him, um, just, noticed and you know really 
quietly just kind of let me do the work and yeah right. absolutely yeah. and i'm here i'm here today because of him and even when i completely yeah. had my break like he just really you know is somebody that saw me through yeah and so it's so important, important to that so loving so yeah and that it is it's the teachers it's the neighbors it's you know it's the acquaintances it's everyone in our lives can really come together to make a difference when it comes right. to gender-based violence right well the reality is you know we're all connected we're mm -hmm. all connected regardless of you know what's happened to us regardless of what we've done we're all connected and if we can strengthen those connections i think there's great promise part of the situation that we're in right now in our world this is me expressing an, a, an opinion, part of the situation, part of the thing that's really hard about our society today is the separation. You know, we're separated from each other and mm -hmm. we've seen in the past year how divisive that separation can be. And um, it's it's harming all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You. I don't know if we have time to talk about Askable Adults, but you reminded me of that. Yes, please do. We'll, we'll kind of wind up with that and yeah, okay. so. Tell so me this about is the, the Askable Adult campaign. The Askable Adult campaign is something that's happening right now. We started doing this work about three years ago when we surveyed kids and youth in our state and asked them what they needed. You know, what are they worried about? What do you need? And the overwhelming response was we need to be able to talk to adults about the things that are present for us. We need to, what's happening to us, what we're worried about, the things that are hard or challenges. And so we need adults who actually know how to do that with us. And so we, that's how the Askable Adults campaign was, it really just bloomed out of that. And so this is a um, campaign where we, we teach adults how to become Askable, how to engage with kids in trusting and um, fortifying relationships like your professor and my teacher yeah. did with us. Uh, and so again, it's on the website, www.utnetwork.org. Um, there's a curriculum, there's all kinds of materials and um, the National Resource Center on Sexual Violence to just today recorded uh, their podcast around Askable Adults. So it's something that's, it's, it's you know, it's blossoming across the country now. Um, but uh, the folks from our state, um, Amy Torsha, Chani Waterhouse and Rebecca Gurney appeared on that po podcast today to talk about in depth about Askable Adults. But if anybody's interested, just you know, a, a brief view at our website will give you everything you need. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, this has been amazing. I yeah, please, please go to Vermont Network or vtnetwork.org, vtnetwork.org to learn about uplift, to learn about askable adults. Um, yeah, just incredible. I did a podcast last year with um Altruistic, formerly Green Dot, about mm -hmm. prevention. Yeah, yeah. Um with one of my dearest friends, Leah Heggie. So if you want to learn some more about prevention, um, please go back and look at that one. And yeah, for everyone outside of Vermont, please go to vtnetwork.org and learn about how you can start to bring these things into place in your community and state. And I'm very excited to be part of the campaign. And yeah, anything you'd like to say as we close up? You know, I love the way you always structure this, like the last word, this is, this is my message. Anything and everything is possible if we choose each other. Yes, love it. Thank you. I Thank choose you. Vermont, you choose Vermont. We choose all the people here and yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, thank you as always, Karen. It's a delight to have you here. This is Karen Tronsgaard-Scott from the VT Network talking about the Uplift campaign to end gender-based violence here in Vermont. Um, for more, go to vtnetwork.org. And as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me, Anna at standupresources.com. Thank you so much and be well till next time.